Welcome to the Insomnia Coach Podcast. My name is Martin Reed. I believe that nobody needs to live with chronic insomnia and that evidence-based cognitive and behavioral techniques can help you enjoy better sleep for the rest of your life. The content of this podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only. It's not medical advice and is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any disease, disorder or medical condition. It should never replace any advice given to you by your physician or any other licensed healthcare provider. Insomnia Coach LLC offers coaching services only and does not provide therapy, counseling, medical advice or medical treatment. The statements and opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily endorsed by Insomnia Coach LLC. All content is provided as is and without warranties, either express or implied. Rick's insomnia started in 2017, shortly after retirement. He started to wake during the night and would find it hard to fall back to sleep. Before long, he started to feel very anxious every time he woke and began to worry about what the day would be like after each difficult night of sleep. Rick started to cancel social events. He would try to take naps during the day. He started to change every aspect of his life in a bid to improve his sleep. He also started experimenting with a cocktail of supplements and pills, none of which helped. Fortunately, Rick discovered evidence-based cognitive and behavioral techniques that changed the way he thought about sleep and helped him implement behaviors that would improve his sleep for the long term. Gradually, Rick started to get more sleep without a single sleeping pill or supplement. As his sleep improved, Rick began regaining sleep confidence and that really got the ball rolling. Today, Rick averages somewhere between seven and seven and a half hours of sleep each night. In this episode, Rick shares all the techniques he implemented to transform his relationship with sleep. Just as Rick was able to improve his sleep, you can too. A full transcript of this podcast can be found at insomniacoach.com forward slash podcast. Okay, so Rick, thank you so much for being on the Insomnia Coach podcast. Well, thank you for having me. So can you start at the beginning for us? When did your sleep problems begin, and do you remember what initially triggered them? Well, they started back in 2017, and uh, it was shortly after I retired, and... uh, I really didn't seem to think there was much much stress going on in my life at that time. Um, I do have a small bit of tinnitus, which um, I was able to sleep with. And um, I think um, just retiring and changing my uh, going to bed time and my waking up time had completely changed. I was... I was going to bed like at 8 o'clock and getting up at 3 in the morning and heading off to work. And all of a sudden, um, I didn't need to go to bed at 8 o'clock and I didn't need to get up at 3 o'clock, but I still went to bed at 8 and was probably getting up about 6 or 7 and uh, 
didn't realize that as I retired, all the things that would come into play, um, trying to get health insurance, uh, taking care of financial situations, and a lot of things, I think, started to build up. And I, I thought, wow, this, this wasn't uh, just an easy transition like I thought. And all of a sudden I noticed, boy, it's, it's, I'm really having a tough time going to sleep. And I was probably spending at least eight or nine hours in bed. And then I thought, well, I'll take a sleeping pill. And uh, then I looked at supplements and I started uh, mixing, you know, coming up with a cocktail of supplements and sleeping pills. And I got to the point where I started to think, well, I don't think I can sleep without these. And it got worse and worse. And I thought, well, the more time I spent in bed, uh, which we all know where that leads, <laughs> um, I uh, really started to worry. And then my the whole deal was worrying about sleep, going to bed at night and starting to worry and being very, very worried. And I think that's how it all started. Yeah. So what was your struggle when you were finding sleep difficult? Was it more to do with falling asleep at the start of the night or was it more to do with waking and finding it hard to fall back to sleep or, or maybe both? Uh, it was both. Uh, it started out, I think, the f probably the first few nights uh, when I woke up, it was a little hard to get back to sleep. And within a few days, it was spending an hour or more, it seemed like, trying to get to sleep. And then when I woke up, uh, that's when I really started to worry because I knew in the beginning that was the problem uh, at first. And uh, the, my heart started pounding, and I was very, very anxious. And I really didn't know what to do. And uh, all I could think was, I, I'm, I'm not going to get any sleep, and uh, what's tomorrow going to be like? I'm, I'm going to be really tired. I, it just perpetuated itself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you touched upon it there, but how did you feel this struggle with sleep was impacting your life, your daytime life? Oh, well, um, I started to um, uh, cancel uh, social events and stuff because I didn't feel, uh, I didn't feel uh, up and uh really in the mood to talk because I hadn't slept very well. I was really tired. Um, and I started worrying about trying to get things done. I, I was um, actually trying to take naps during the day. And of course that wasn't working. And it uh, just continued on like that. I, I just, I started to change every aspect of my life. I actually um, started to lose some weight because I, I, wasn't, um, I wasn't too hungry. I was, I was more obsessed and worried about what the next day would be like. Uh, how long would this go on? Is this 
going to happen the rest of my life. It was, uh, it was uh, quite worrisome. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that everyone listening to this is really going to identify with how you've described that initial sleep disruption, just morphing into this bigger long-term issue that builds into consuming your life almost. And that's quite typical because we actually, you know, we have this model for how chronic insomnia develops, whereby some of us are just a little bit more predisposed to short-term sleep disruption. I think the fact that you have tinnitus would probably mean that you're more susceptible to some sleep disruption. And then we have that precipitating event, that initial trigger of the sleep disruption, um, which sounds like it was that retirement, that big change in your routine and your schedule. Uh, then this led to all these perpetuating factors, which are the things we do in response to that sleep disruption that make it hard for our sleep to get back on track. In your experience, they were looking for sleeping pills, looking for supplements, coming up with those cocktails of supplements and canceling social events, taking naps during the day, spending more time in bed, all those things that we do, often in an attempt to improve our sleep, actually backfire and they make it harder for our sleep to recover. So I think that you just sharing that description, that story is really going to resonate with a lot of people listening. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, the, the issue with those perpetuating factors, the reason why we call them perpetuating is because they can disrupt our sleep in three ways. They disrupt our sleep by reducing sleep drive. So if we're spending more time in bed, like you've experienced, it reduces our sleep drive and makes it harder for us to sleep the following night. Um, if we're getting out of bed at all different times of the day, that can lead to body clock disruption, which again makes it harder for our sleep to improve. And then all these attempts that we want to make to improve our sleep, when they don't lead to improved sleep, we worry. And that triggers this other perpetuating factor of insomnia, which is arousal. Just this high level of worry, anxiety, self-monitoring, and we just become really vigilant about sleep. And we spend so much time thinking about sleep and that in itself makes sleep difficult as well. Well, uh, when you said, uh, you know, thinking about sleep, I, um, when I did sleep well, um, that was the thing. That was never a thought in my mind. It was, you, you talked about uh, talking to somebody who doesn't have a problem sleeping and you ask them about it and they say, well, I never really think about it. And all my life, I've never really thought about it until it started to build and I would find myself all day long thinking in some degree or another about how the next night was going to go and I was just setting myself up. I was really, really getting nervous and by the time it got to bedtime, um, I was um, defeating myself. I, I I just kept thinking, well, here we go again. And uh, it's amazing um, how well the CBI techniques worked. Let's talk about that. So, you know, you found my website, you found Insomnia Coach, and you started to implement these evidence-based cognitive and behavioral techniques that, as you know, I'm a big fan of, and that's what I talk about all the time. Was there a specific technique that you found the most helpful 
Um, what, what was it about these techniques that you felt helped you get your sleep back on track? Well, uh, the first thing um, that you, you would always say at the, at the end of your um, uh, podcasts were you can sleep. It, it is possible that you don't have to rely on other things to help you sleep. And I, I thought, uh, well, the, the first thing you talked about was a sleep restriction. And of course, the first thing that came to my mind was, well, well, wait a minute. I, I'm doing that pretty well on my own. (laughs) Um, it didn't make sense. And then, uh, when you mentioned, keep in mind how much time you think you got sleep and let's add an hour to that and uh, don't go below five and a half hours. And I thought maybe I was getting between four and five hours sleep, which uh, at times it might've been three, but closer to four. And, and I thought, well, I, I thought I'd start out at, I think it was about 11, 1130. And uh, I think uh, in the first week getting up at five, and then um, I did that for about three days, and I was really starting to worry because um, you had mentioned, well, if you fall asleep, which in those first three days I did fall asleep within an hour, but when I woke up, I thought, okay, if, if, I, if I lay here long enough, I'm going to have to get out of bed again. And I had a place to go sit and read. And I think that was the first sign because I maybe spent 20 minutes, 30 minutes reading. And then I went back to bed. I felt tired, went back to bed, and I did go back to sleep. And when I woke up and got out of bed at 6, I know that anchor point I had set. I got out of bed and I thought, well, that was interesting. I actually did go back to sleep without any problem. And within, I would say, the fourth or fifth night, I actually fell asleep within a half hour. And then when I woke up, I had the same scenario. So I got out of bed, sat down, read some more, went back to bed, and sure enough, I fell asleep. And I thought, wow, there really is something to this. And by the second week, it, it was probably uh, probably four nights, and I had one bad night. And I remembered you saying, don't dwell on the bad night. Just always think, each night we're going to start fresh. And, and to work on the technique alone. And don't worry, just work on the technique. And gradually, week by week, I found myself getting more and more sleep and I started to add 15 minutes to a half an hour and uh, it progressively started getting better and better and along with that my confidence in realizing I haven't taken I mean this was the longest period I had gone two weeks without taking a single sleeping pill or a supplement and I was actually sleeping and that alone gave me so much confidence that I think that's what helped get the ball rolling. That just 
made things so much easier from that point on. Yeah, I really like how you said it just gets the ball rolling because it is a process. Um, building that sleep confidence back, it takes this. That's why I think that sleep restriction is so helpful because quite quickly it helps build up a strong sense of sleepiness and starts to make it a little bit easier for you to fall asleep at night and to sleep through the night too. And as you said, it gets the ball rolling. It doesn't make you suddenly wake after that first night or that first week suddenly thinking, oh, I'm cured, magic, I'm all better. It is a process. It just gets things moving in the right direction. And every single time you get that little bit better night of sleep, as you suggested, it builds that confidence, chips away that worry and that anxiety, and it turns what was before like this vicious cycle of worry about sleep, then generating poor sleep, which generated more worry. It turns it completely on its head and you start to get a little bit better sleep. So you worry a little bit less and that in turn leads to a little bit better sleep. And as you said, it just gets the ball rolling almost like a snowball down a hill. It gets bigger and bigger. That sleep confidence just gets bigger and bigger and bigger as you repeatedly experience slightly better sleep. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I think just for those who are listening that aren't familiar with sleep restriction, all we're doing, you know, it's a terrible phrase. And you alluded to this as soon as you heard me say sleep restriction and you thought, well, I'm doing a great job of that by myself. <laughs> All we're really doing is just restricting the amount of time that you're allotting for sleep, uh, the amount of time you're spending in bed. Because what we all typically do when we want to get more sleep is spend more time in bed. But all that does when we're struggling with sleep is lead to more time in bed awake. And the more time in bed we spend awake, the more time we're worrying about sleep, we're frustrated about sleep, we're tossing and turning, feeling anxious, and this makes sleep more difficult. It actually gets the ball rolling the other way, <laughs> in a sense. Exactly. Yeah, exactly right. And it makes it really hard for you to improve your sleep because you're just perpetuating sleep difficulty. Um, what I typically suggest is, you know, you look at your average nightly sleep duration. So you mix in the better nights with the worst nights over maybe a week or two. So you can get a picture of what an average night is like and then add on like half an hour or an hour onto that. So you're not reducing, you're not going to be cutting into your average nightly sleep duration. You're just reducing the amount of time that you're currently allotting for wakefulness during the night so that you fill that sleep window with sleep. You're also just building more sleep drive during the day because sleep drive builds with every minute of wakefulness. So the more time you're spending awake during the day, not actually trying to sleep, the more you're building sleep drive and making sleep more likely to happen. And that's ultimately all sleep restriction is. We're not restricting sleep. We're restricting the amount of time you're allotting for sleep. That really just helps you build that sleepiness. Yeah, a lot, lot less time. I was going to say a lot less time tossing and turning uh, you know, hours and hours worrying and worrying, um, that, uh, yeah, you're not allotting for that. And uh, like you said, you, you start to associate the bed in a more comfortable um, atmosphere, and it's not something you're walking towards dreading 
what's what's going to happen? You're thinking, oh, well, here goes another night. I'm going to toss and turn. And it just, it eliminates a lot of that and allows you to start really actually thinking of the bed as, oh, I'm, this is comfortable, I'm going to go to sleep. Yeah, that's quite common too. Um, a lot of people will tell me that because you're so used to going, when you have chronic insomnia, you're so used to thinking of the bed as a place of struggle. You know, you start to dread going to bed. But when you start implementing this regular and appropriate sleep window, you're building up so much sleep drive. You're looking at the clock thinking, when can I go to bed? I really just want to go to bed. And it completely <laughs> changes that mindset where you just want to go to bed. You want to go to bed rather than trying to avoid it or thinking of it as a place of dread. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, having the uh, the anchor of uh, uh, the point of getting up, um, uh, there, were, there were a few times I thought, I feel so comfortable. I'd like to, you know, sleep in another hour. And I thought, no, 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 no not yet. <laughs> um, and and I stuck to that. I uh, I was very, very regimented in making sure that the minute that uh, I have a clock that's I can hear from downstairs that has a chime to it, and I didn't even I've turned my clock around so I don't bother looking at it. Then. And I would hear the chime, and I would get out of bed, and I'd think, oh, I'd like to stay in bed, but no, I'm, I'm sticking to the plan. And um, lately now, I'm I'm probably sometimes I'll sleep and wake up, and it's 20 after uh, six, 20 after six, six thirty, and I'm like, oh wow, I slept right through the chime, and uh, I get up anyway, and um, I'm just I'm fascinated. I'm amazed by how how well it works. I know that over time, it my insomnia just didn't kick in. Boom! Within two or three days, so I I realized that you said that the the techniques um, aren't going to overnight do it for you. You it's going to take some time, the same as it took time for the insomnia to build up. Yeah, absolutely. I think it is really important. Um, I'm really glad that you emphasized the importance of that morning anchor because sometimes it can be so tempting, especially if you know, you've been awake for most of the night and you feel like you're just drifting off to sleep an hour or two before that, before it's time to get out of bed. And the temptation can just be so overwhelming when the alarm goes off to just think, no, I can sleep. So I want to get back to sleep. The problem is it feels great at the time, you know, sleeping in beyond the end of the sleep window, but it sets you up for a night of struggle the next night because you're going to be getting out of bed later and your sleep drive isn't going to be as strong to maybe help you fall asleep the following night. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. You know, one way I like to look at this is let's say that right now, if someone's listening to this, they're currently getting roughly five hours of sleep each night. Let's see that as you're currently capable of generating five hours of sleep each night. That means to get that five hours, you need 19 hours of wakefulness, you know? So 24 hours in a day, take off the five hours of sleep you get, that leaves you with 19 hours. That means that you need to have that strong, consistent morning anchor. You need to get out of bed at the same time to have that 19 hours of prior wakefulness 
to build enough sleep drive for you to consistently get that five hours of sleep. Then as your sleep becomes more consistent, then you can start, you know, like you alluded to earlier, you can start extending the sleep window by 15 minutes, half an hour, and seeing how you do, and gradually expand out from there as your sleep improves. Yeah, yes. And then just the fact that as each day went on, I started to return to the way I used to always think. I would throughout the day, I would be thinking of other things instead of worrying about sleep. Do you have any tips for people that are listening? You know, you sound as though you're really good at getting out of bed at that consistent time in the morning, um, that same time, but it can be hard. So do you have any tips for people that are listening to this that are maybe struggling with that or they've tried it in the past and really found it hard to get out of bed at the same time every day? Boy, that's a good question. Um, I think, uh, well, the one thing that uh, you made a point of, uh, it came across as though um, I had to really make sure that anchor point stuck. And um, when you said uh, just implementing the techniques um, and not, not worrying about the outcome, just concentrate on the technique and you were very um oh what would the word be uh, uh very definite about that anchor point and i stuck to that and i knew that uh, the minute i started to see results that i believe i started believing in all of it and really took it to heart that um that if I'm going to add time, I'm going to add it at the beginning of my sleep window, but stick to that anchor point and, uh, you know, a couple of months, three months, four months down the road, I can start to experiment a little. And, uh, over this time I had noticed that, okay, I did, uh, I've, I kept a sleep diary for eight weeks and I'm now starting into my ninth week. And I've noticed a few times where I did sleep over the 20 minutes after to 6.30, and there was no um, no, no ill effects from that. I, I would still go to bed at, uh, I, I've got it down to 10.30 when I go to bed, and I still was getting the same amount of sleep I needed and that was the other thing, I'm always assuming that we all needed eight hours, and I'm finding that I seem to do pretty well on six and a half to seven hours sleep, and I feel great. And uh, But um, sticking with that, that anchor point of getting up, um, for me, being retired, it's a lot easier for me to stick to that. I, I, I don't have a place to be at a certain time. Um, but, uh, I, I can't, I can't say enough of, uh, about, like you said, the technique, um, you really have to perfect that technique and stick with it and results will come. Yeah. I, I think it's actually harder to stick to this sleep window when you're retired or maybe if you're not working, you know, if you quit your job or you call in sick because you don't have that obligation to have to be out there by a certain time. 
So I think it takes even more self-discipline to make sure that you're always out of bed by that consistent time in the morning. That, that, well, now that is a good point because um, there were times when I thought, yeah, I don't have to be anywhere. And now that I'm starting to um, get the sleep, um, I was just so tempted to just let it go and, and, and try and sleep until seven or, or seven thirty. Uh, and I thought, well, no, 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 I, I, I have to stick to that anchor point. And, uh, I think if I had, if I had varied from that, if I had gone off track, I probably would have been working a lot harder at it and not sticking with the technique. Yeah, I, I think, though, one reason why we do see a lot of at least short-term sleep disruption when people retire is because that schedule, that obligation to be out of bed by a certain time is no longer present. So we can stay in bed for longer and our body clocks drift and we're building up less sleep drive during the day. So as soon as there's that trigger that maybe leaves us with a couple of bad nights, it's so much easier for these perpetuating factors to creep in and make that initial sleep disruption a longer term problem. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's one reason why I really encourage people not to call in sick or take sabbaticals from work or even quit their job in response to insomnia. Because often once you do that, once you remove that schedule, that scheduling obligation from your day, it just becomes so much easier to do all the things that make sleep more difficult, like spending more time in bed, staying indoors all day and not being very active, conserving energy, napping during the day. When you've got that, when, when you've got a clear schedule to follow during the day or you've got a clear plan laid out for the day ahead, it can really help you stay consistent with your daytime routine. And in effect, that has the knock-on effect of obligating you to keep a consistent nighttime routine as well. Uh, yeah, and again, when you you had said, um, you know, not to change things, go out, see your friends. Um, if one night um, you you want to go out and have dinner and be with your friends at a party, um, to to live your life to. Uh, to do that, and I found after, as I started the techniques, I thought, well, I've during football season, I had friends that were asking me to come over for Monday night football and things like that, and I'm like, oh boy, I don't know, I don't know, you know. And I thought, no, no, you you said to to stick with it, just um, be social, try and keep your daily life as normal as possible, and and, and don't start uh, uh, defeating yourself by, by canceling things and stuff. And then I also started that. I was like, I would get up and my wife would ask me, how, how are you doing? And I said, well, I think I did okay last night. Uh, it's, it's getting a little better. And she says, well, what about tonight? And I said, tonight is on. We are going to go out and socialize. And I think that also... Um, kept my mind off of uh, just sitting somewhere and dwelling about what was going to happen. I was um, living my life and thinking about other things. Yeah, that's really important. 
When we struggle with sleep for a, a long period of time, it's so easy for us to allow sleep to just rule our lives and to really put sleep up on a pedestal. And you know, there's no doubt about it. Sleep is important, but it's not as important as we think it is when we're struggling with insomnia. We have far more control over our quality of life than sleep alone. We have more control on a conscious level, you know, so we get to decide if we're going to cancel that plan with friends or we get to decide if we're going to do that activity we know we're really going to enjoy. And if we don't, if we decide to cancel things and not do something because we had a bad night of sleep, we're guaranteeing that insomnia or sleep has a negative impact on our lives. Um, but if we push through and just try to stay as consistent as possible to try and fill our days with activity, it's less time for rumination and dwelling and thinking about sleep. But it's also opportunity to recognize that we can have, you know, if not a great day or a good day, at least some okay moments or some positive moments during the day, even after a bad night of sleep. Um, that can take a little bit of the fear and the worry and the anxiety that we have about sleep away. And as you said before, you know, it gets the ball rolling. Well, you also, you also mentioned that, um, when I would start to think negative about, um, oh, this is going to ruin my day. And I would realize that, well, now let's think about this as, as my mind was thinking, maybe this isn't true um, because I did go out the other night. I did have fun. And so the negative thoughts I was having weren't as uh, true to uh, what I was believing. It, it, I would kind of uh, dissect my thought and think, well, no, it didn't completely ruin my day yesterday. I did get out and get some work done. I did socialize and see people. So it's not as bad as my mind is telling me. I'm, it really is, it's everything you, everything you said. I mean, it was, you were always a step ahead. <laughs> you knew exactly what I was experiencing and where I was going. And uh, that also gave me a lot of confidence. Yeah, those thoughts that we have can just seem so accurate at the time. And the common one is, if I don't sleep tonight, tomorrow is going to be ruined or how am I going to get through the day tomorrow? I'm going to make mistakes. Tomorrow is going to be awful. And when we have that thought, you know, just by default, it can seem a hundred percent accurate. But if we take a step back and think, okay, what's the evidence to support this? I'm sure that you've got lots of evidence to support times when you have had a hard day after a bad night of sleep but then you can maybe look for evidence that suggests you can have a good day or an okay day after a bad night of sleep. You know, have there ever been any times when you've had a really hard night, but done surprisingly well during the day or had fun or noticed some positive moments? And when you turn to take a step back and just evaluate those thoughts, you can see that they're not actually as accurate as they often first felt. That then, you know, that in itself can just take all the worry and anxiety they're generating and just ratchet it down a few notches. Yeah, exactly. 
And you mentioned too this other technique that you're trying, which is when you're struggling to fall asleep or fall back to sleep, you get out of bed. Um, we call this technique, this is part of a technique known as stimulus control. Um, how do you feel that helped you? Did you feel that that was really key to improving your sleep as well? Oh, uh, yeah, it was his, uh, probably, um, probably that was the one I worried about the most. Um, because there, there are times that I would go to bed and I couldn't turn my mind off. And I would finally get to sleep. And when I always slept well, um, when I woke up during the night and got up to go to the bathroom or whatever, just woke up and, and I would go right back to sleep. It was never an issue. And going to bed had an issue here and there, but I always attributed to, you know, trying to turn my mind off and what I was going to be doing the next day or looking forward to something and I was excited and anxious and couldn't get to sleep. The getting out of bed, uh, the minute I started to feel uncomfortable and tossing and turning seemed to be a lot more um, intense um, after waking up than starting out at night going to bed. And when that started to happen and I thought, okay, I got to get out of bed and I walk over and sit down, start to read a book and I would just start to feel myself getting tired and sure enough, uh, going back in and getting into bed and boom, right back to sleep. And it was like, wow, that, that was a very spot moment for me. It was like, wow, that really worked. <laughs> it was fantastic. You know, I think it can just be, if nothing else, you know, it works. There's there's almost this mental reset switch. It just helps lift you out of that point where you're in bed, tossing and turning. Your mind is going a mile a minute. You're feeling anxious, worried, frustrated, maybe thinking about a million other things. Well, if you stay in that situation, I think it's always going to take longer for the mind to be able to calm itself. Whereas if you just get out of bed and just do anything else, anything that you find relaxing and enjoyable, such as reading, it does help. It, it kind of flicks something in your brain. I think it just makes it easier and quicker for you to get to that point where you're feeling calm and relaxed again and in a better state for sleep to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one thing is also important to know is that the process of getting out of bed is really a longer term strategy. You know, the intention is to help you relearn to see the bed as a place for relaxation and sleep. And we do that by making sure that when you're in bed, you're either relaxed or asleep. And whenever you're not, you get out of bed. So sometimes it can turn you into this human yo-yo in the short term, you know, where you're just getting in and out of bed. But the whole time you're doing that, you're reinforcing this idea that the bed is a place for sleep. And, you know, and you're also building sleep drive. So when you're combining that with the sleep window, every time you do it, you're increasing the likelihood that you're going to sleep during the sleep window. And when you sleep, it's going to be in bed. And this really is the key to building up that long-term association between your bed and sleep and making the bed a trigger for sleep, just as it was in the past before you had insomnia. 
Yeah, because the tossing and turning and just being frustrated with, am I going to get back to sleep? The minute you hop out of bed, um, you put an end to that process, so to speak. And uh, just sitting down to read the book, all of a sudden I would find myself a little bit more relaxed. And then when I got back into bed, I did go back to sleep. Uh, I would say that the first week of the uh, sleep restriction was a, was a struggle, but um, I don't think there was any surprise to it because of the things that you said in your podcasts and that it's probably one of the hardest parts of the whole process. But if you can just get through part of that and stick with it and, uh, you were uh, the whole idea of it, being a coach. I mean, it's it's fantastic. You you coached me through it, and uh, and I knew what to expect, and I knew that those things were going to happen, which also gave me more confidence. And then the minute I saw the results, it was like again that you got that ball rolling, and uh, it was fantastic. Yeah. I think that, that just that process of getting out of bed and doing something else is so helpful because it distracts the mind. If nothing else, it is just a distraction. Um, reading a book is a distraction from the rumination and maybe the catastrophizing and all those thoughts that are just whirling through your head. Um, also, I think it's just a more appealing, a more pleasant alternative. Getting out of bed and doing something you enjoy is a more appealing alternative to staying in bed and just struggling with no end in sight. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right, so we've talked a lot about what your sleep was like before, all these techniques you've implemented. So what's your sleep like now? What is a typical night like for you now? Um, I'm probably, I would say, uh, um, about 9.30, um, I have what you call that buffer, that one hour of, of get away from the TV, uh, stay away from the computer, um, all the devices, get away from that, and go through a period of just relaxing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I like how you put just relaxing. It's not relaxing to put you to sleep. It's just an hour of relaxation, just mm -hmm to calm yourself down, slow everything down, and I'll spend about an hour reading. I've probably done more reading uh, than I ever have, which <laughs> actually I'm really enjoying. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it, um, like you said, it, it, it's just, uh, it's very pleasant. It's very calming. And after about an hour, I've, I'll say goodnight to my wife and she'll shut off the TV and I'll climb back into bed and uh, I, I go right to sleep. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm still, I'm still sticking to the six o'clock, even though sometimes I, I all get up at six 30, but uh, I've, I was very aware of the fact that if, if it started to, um, interrupt my sleep in any way, or I started to notice it diminishing, um, I would go right back to the six o'clock. But, um, it seems like now 
um, I'm still sticking with going to bed about 10.30, mm -hmm. and I'll get up about 6, 6.30 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And um, it, uh, I think once, once in a while I'll have a, a night that isn't quite on par with the rest, right. and, and I keep remembering what you said, just don't let that set you back, mm -hmm. because everybody has a bad night once in a while. Exactly. And just, yeah, just saying that um, and, and remembering that is um, not comparing myself to anybody else or anything like that, but just knowing that everybody can have a bad night. Mm -hmm. And and I knew when I slept well that I would have a bad night, and but I didn't think about it. It was just, it wasn't ever anything I thought about. Mm -hmm. But when I have one now, I know that it's nothing to worry about. Yeah. And I tell myself that, and it, it really helps uh, build my confidence. Yeah, that's, that's really important to recognize that you're still going to have some bad nights every now and again, because everyone has bad nights every now and again. Sometimes there's an obvious cause, even if we, you know, let's say we have an argument with our spouse or we receive bad news or we change jobs, we lose our jobs, we have a health scare, all those things. It would be unusual if our sleep wasn't disrupted. So sometimes just taking a few seconds to think, did something yeah. happen last night? But not to spend time on it because sometimes we have a bad night for no obvious reason, you know, it just happens. And as long as we just don't try and compensate for that bad night, as long as we just trust that our body knows what it's doing, our body has obviously decided we only needed that amount of sleep last night and we just need to accept it and just have trust in our bodies. Then, you know, almost certainly the next night you'll just be back to sleeping well again. It is ultimately down to our reaction to those bad nights which are always normal and always to be expected, you know, those one-off bad nights. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you touched upon this earlier, but are you still taking any medication or supplements specifically for sleep? Nope, not a one. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Which amazes me. I, I don't, I don't yeah. know uh, how... Uh, I was trying to think um, when I started taking them, um, that it, it became every day. It was like, in my mind, I wasn't going to be able to sleep without them. And yeah. I have, since I implemented the techniques, I'm now in my ninth week without touching a supplement or a pill. Mm -hmm. And that alone, that too, just uh, increases my, my confidence that I can sleep. I can do it on my own. Yeah, absolutely. You took the words out of my mouth. It's so important because nothing generates sleep apart from our own biological sleep drive. Pills or supplements, you know, sometimes they can help remove that initial barrier to sleep or lower that initial obstacle, which is often to do with worry and anxiety about sleep, but they can never generate sleep. So once you start to sleep better without the pills, without the supplements, you start to build that confidence. You start to recognize that, yes, I can sleep without this or that. I can sleep naturally without needing any kind of external crutch or any sleep aid. 
Yeah, and it seems like a much better quality of sleep, too. Uh, the pills, I, I felt drowsy, and sometimes I felt like a zombie the next day. And uh, the, uh, getting the, the quality of sleep, uh, I've noticed now that I will sleep for probably four hours straight without ever waking up. And uh, I can't remember uh, before I started the techniques when I was really able to do that mm -hmm. uh, for quite some time. And <laughs> um, that first four hours, as a few times every now and then, I'll sleep six hours. And, uh, and I can't remember when I last did that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, it is a, definitely a better quality of sleep when your body does it on its own. Mm -hmm. And that feeds into the sleep confidence because our ultimate goal is always just to get you to that point where you have confidence in your sleep. You're not really thinking about sleep anymore. When you've always got that kind of crutch, you know, that pill or the supplement, I think it's hard to really regain that sleep confidence when you still are reaching for something external in an attempt to generate sleep. Yeah. And just like you said, there are side effects and they can lead to that morning grogginess. And that's another problem in itself, too, because yeah. then we can often blame our poor sleep for feeling fatigued and groggy in the morning when it might just be down to whatever pill or supplement that we took. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Finally, the other thing I just wanted to touch upon from what you said is that it's completely normal to wake during the night. You know, waking during the night is just a normal part of sleep and everyone wakes during the night. Even the best sleepers in the world wake during the night. But the difference is they don't pay any attention to those awakenings. So they tend to be very short. You know, most of the time people don't even remember them. Yeah. But when we're struggling with sleep, of course, as soon as we wake up, we become really activated. We worry about it. And that's what makes it more difficult to fall asleep and makes it a problem. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so how's the way that you think about insomnia or just sleep in general? How has that changed since you went through this whole process and this whole transformation? Um, it made me realize um, how I conceived sleep. Uh, I, I had a totally different idea of what sleep was. Uh, I, I figured it had to be eight or nine hours of sleep. Um, I, I really, uh, until I, um, learned more from you about it, I, and when I did sleep well, it wasn't something I ever thought about. And then um, I'm 64 now, and I've, you know, heard that as you get older, it gets a little harder. And um, yeah, I probably will never spend nine or ten hours in bed anymore, but I don't really have to. And um, And I know now that um, when I really feel tired and I'm near the sleep window, um, I, I'm, I'm, I am lengthening it. And, uh, so I'm, I'm at about eight hours in bed and, uh, and it all seems to work quite well for me now. And, uh, and I getting to the point where I just don't think about it. 
How, how are your days now? I mean, I think you touched upon this just then, you know, you, you just not really spending much time thinking about it. At the start of our call, you were telling me how when you're really struggling, you just found your day was almost full of just thinking and worrying about sleep. Have you got to that point now where it's just really not something you think about anymore? Oh, uh, just about, yeah. I uh, the only time I really think about it is if um, somebody says something about uh, going somewhere or uh, taking a trip or something, and I'll just tell my wife that, uh, well, I need to stick to the sleep window, you know, to some point here. Um, but that's probably about it. I, I I don't look at it like, oh boy, if I don't if I don't stick to this, um, it's it's all going to fall apart. I just kind of have in my mind that um, I need to just kind of stay within the uh, the parameters of of getting my. I, I know what helps me to get a good night's sleep, and it isn't really a struggle anymore. And uh, throughout the day, I just go about my 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 business and, and doing things around the place, and it it isn't uh, it really isn't on my mind anymore. Yeah, that's so good to hear. You know, I think it's important to recognize that life does sometimes get in the way, and it should. Living life, living and enriching life is more important than feeling you have to stick to that sleep window. So if you're going to have friends over or go out one night and it might mean you're gonna to go to bed later than normal, then that should be what you do because that's far more important than being in bed by the start of your sleep window. And going to bed later is always far less of an issue than going to bed earlier because when you go to bed later, you're still building sleep drive. Yeah, that was the one thing all of a sudden I thought about was, oh, well, you know, my sleep window's pretty late. So, you know, if I stay up later, uh, that's really not going to affect me that much. And um, I think as as the months go on, um, it's just going to become a, uh, a just a normal habit for me to do, do this without really thinking about it because I do think less and less about it. And I wait until I'm tired and uh, and just go to sleep. And, and again, it's it's all slowly going back to the point where I used to sleep fine and never thought about it. And as time goes on, it, it, I'm finding myself getting closer and closer to that and, uh, and being normal again. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know and it, it's a process just to keep building that sleep confidence back. As you alluded to earlier, just as it took time for insomnia to develop, yeah. it takes time to pick it apart. Um, when we put it into perspective, you were struggling for two years, roughly two years. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, and then just over the past two months, you just undergone this quite impressive transformation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, yeah. The fact that you said that, you know, this didn't happen overnight. It progressed over time and it would take time to progress out of it. And, uh, and, and when you said, you know, it'll be tough at first, and uh, I was a little tough, but uh, trying to quit smoking uh, cigarettes uh, 20 years ago was really tough. But I knew that uh, when you first initially start, oh boy, <laughs> it's uh, it, it, it's a little tough, 
but um, you know that when you you start to see those results, it's like, wow, I'm just going to keep on going with this. I really like how you use that association with it's like trying to quit smoking because like with smoking, I think it often takes people a few tries as well. They might not be successful the first time they try, maybe not even the second, but just that persistence, that willingness to keep on trying. I think a lot of people might try some of these techniques and then maybe not try after, you know, maybe quit after a week or two if they're not getting results as quickly as they want. Yeah. But hopefully just seeing that association between quitting smoking and implementing these techniques, recognizing that it might take a few tries. Yeah. But if you are consistent, you'll get there. You know, just talking to you about this, I think, will help people recognize that too. Yeah, it, it, it took me uh, three tries to quit smoking. So I knew it took time. And... Uh, just sticking with it and saying that I am going to implement this for eight weeks. And if I continue on with it, it's just only going to improve. And um, and like you said, if somewhere down the road, all of a sudden I kind of fall off the wagon and, and I start to go through some nights, uh, I, I can always fall back on what I've learned. And I have that um, in the back of my mind, I can just start implementing the techniques again and boom, I know I'll be right back on, on track again. Yeah, exactly. And that's the reason why I'm such a big fan of these cognitive and behavioral techniques, because once you've learned them, once you recognize from experience that they're effective, that they've worked for you, they're with you for life. So anytime in the future, if you go through this period of sleep disruption that you're finding it hard to shake off, you know that you can just implement these techniques again yeah. and they'll get your sleep back on track just as they've done in the past. Yeah, exactly. Okay, Rick. So I have one last question for you. I really appreciate the time that you've set aside for us today. Um, this, the one last question is, if someone with chronic insomnia is listening, and feels as though they've tried everything, that they're beyond help, that they cannot do anything to improve their sleep, what would you tell them? I would tell them about the techniques and that the fact that, uh, again, using the analogy of smoking, it's, it's one of the hardest things to do. And CBI techniques, um, I don't think they were as hard as smoking, but or trying to quit smoking, uh, but in the beginning, it can be difficult, but you just have to have uh, the, the willpower to stick with it, to, to, to try and go through the eight-week program and, um, and not try to step back and say that it just isn't working because, I, again, I... Um, I I, I've just remembered you saying that it didn't, uh, the insomnia didn't happen overnight and it, it, it took time to progress and it's going to take time to progress out of it. So you can't expect miracles overnight or a few days. It's going to take uh, some, uh, some time and willpower. I guess that's the best way I could say it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's an important message. I think the techniques, when you read about them, they're relatively straightforward. But when it comes to implementation, 
they can definitely be challenging. Yeah. Um, the key really is to just try and be committed and consistent. And as long as you are, you're almost 100% certain to get results and notice improvements in your sleep. Exactly, yes. All right, Rick. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to me. You know, I think the people that are listening are going to find it really helpful. I think they're going to really notice a lot of their own experience in your story. And hopefully the fact that you went through that transformation and you're sleeping so much better now will be that motivation and inspiration for people to implement these evidence-based cognitive and behavioral techniques and really commit to them you know, and improve their sleep too. Because if you're able to improve your sleep, there's no reason to think that anybody else going through insomnia can't do the same. Yeah, I th- any, anybody can do it. And um, I just, I thank you from the bottom of my heart um, uh, what, sh- what you're um, uh, putting out there is, it's fantastic. It, um, I, I, can't, I can't thank you enough for for what you've done. I I really appreciate that, Rick. You know, just remember that you're the one that put all the effort in. You're the one that has all the skills. And so you're the one that is getting the results because of your efforts. That's really important. Yeah. Well, it took a good coach. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Rick. I, I, I appreciate that. Thanks again for taking the time to talk to us today. Okay, you bet. Thanks for listening to the Insomnia Coach podcast. If you're ready to implement evidence-based cognitive and behavioral techniques to improve your sleep, but think you might need some additional support and guidance, I would love to help. There are two ways we can work together. First, you can get my online coaching course. This is the most popular option. My course combines sleep education with individualized coaching and is guaranteed to improve your sleep. You will learn new ways of thinking about sleep and implement better sleep habits over a period of eight weeks. This gives you time to build sleep confidence and notice results without feeling overwhelmed. You can get the course and start right now at insomniacoach.com forward slash online. I also offer a phone coaching package where we start with a one hour call. This can be voice only or video, your choice and we come up with an initial two-week plan that will have you implementing cognitive and behavioral techniques that will lead to long-term improvements in your sleep. You get unlimited email-based support and guidance for two weeks after the call, along with a half-hour follow-up call at the end of the two weeks. You can book the phone coaching package at insomniacoach.com forward slash phone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Insomnia Coach podcast. I'm Martin Reed, and as always, I'd like to leave you with this important reminder. You can sleep.